2: I am Scott. And I'm Ben. And we're from Car Stuff. We're the podcast that covers everything that floats, flies, swims, or drives, adventures, thrills, chills, literally planes, trains, and automobiles. That's right. And you can find all of our episodes on Google Play, Spotify, iTunes, and really anywhere else you get your podcast.
0: Welcome to How Stuff Works Now. I'm your host, Lauren Vogelbaum, a researcher and writer here at How Stuff Works. Every week, I'm bringing you three stories from our team about the weird and wondrous developments we've seen in science, technology, and culture. This week, researchers asked and answered what a human body would be like if we had evolved to withstand car crashes. And an unrelated question, could the future of fighting mosquito-borne illness be in GMO mosquito factories? But first, senior writer and forward-thinking video host Jonathan Strickland explores a study that dug into CEO's pay and company performance. The results indicate that high CEO compensation and long-term business performance aren't necessarily aligned. Is it time to grab the torches and pitchforks?
3: Okay, maybe we don't storm the castle just yet, but Rick Marshall and Linda Ealing Lee of MSCI ESG Research have published a paper titled, Are CEOs Paid for Performance? Spoiler alert, the answer seems to be, nope. The report focused on publicly traded companies and stock performance. Marshall and Lee looked at 10-year spans to see how CEO compensation impacts long-term investments. CEO compensation consists of lots of stuff, including a base salary, bonuses, travel budgets, stocks, and stock options. The bulk of a chief executive's pay comes from those stocks and options, not from a base salary. And that sounds like it makes sense, right? If you link a CEO's compensation with stock value, then it stands to reason the CEO will work hard to make certain the company does well. In general, the better the company performs, the higher the stock price goes. And that means more money for the head cheese! But it turns out that doesn't necessarily amount to big gains for long-term investors. Marshall and Lee examined 429 companies. They divided the companies into peer groups and found the median CEO compensation for each group. Then they asked the question, if I invested $100 in these companies 10 years ago, how much would I have now? They found that companies that paid their CEOs higher than the median would pay out $264.76 after 10 years on average. But companies that compensated their CEOs less than the median paid out $367.17 on that same $100 investment. In other words, companies that paid their CEOs less performed better in the long term. Why is this Part of the problem is that the average CEO tenure at large companies is 6.6 years, so you could argue that there's not enough incentive in place for CEOs to focus on long-term performance. Another issue is how companies report and measure success. Marshall and Lee argue that the annual reporting cycle encourages this obsession with short-term gains. And while that might push stock values upwards in brief spurts, it could have a detrimental effect in the long run. So, is the answer to slash CEO compensation? Marshall and Lee don't go that far. They argue that, instead, we should create new systems to link CEO pay to long-term company performance. That means the U.S. Securities Exchange Commission would have to draft new disclosure requirements to make companies fall in line. And that's a tall order.
0: Next up, senior writer and monster science wrangler Robert Lamb brings us the story of experiments around the world that are creating genetically inferior mosquitoes to either destroy or modify natural populations. After all, mosquitoes are responsible for killing more humans every year than any other animal, including other humans. Isn't it fair that we take the fight to them?
1: In the wake of Zika and renewed outbreaks of dengue fever, scientists are turning to new management methods, including using factories to mass-breed genetically modified mosquitoes. You're familiar with the problem here. Mosquitoes suck our blood, and in doing so, they serve as the perfect blood bridge from individual to individual, spreading deadly pathogens such as yellow fever, Zika, dengue, malaria, West Nile virus, and more. And all they need to reproduce is the tiniest bit of water for their larvae. Manage standing water all you want. Dust their environment and yours with pesticides, but these most perfect organisms boast an incredible ability to bounce back from these efforts. And that's one reason for the mosquito factories. They're scientific projects aimed at pumping out altered mosquitoes to compete with populations that pose a threat. One such project in Guangzhou, China, has reported promising results. They're rearing and releasing mosquitoes infected with Wolbachia bacteria, and for two very good reasons. First, it renders the mosquitoes incapable of carrying a wide variety of dangerous pathogens, a quirk the mosquitoes then pass on to their offspring. Again, the strategy is the same here. Breed these compromised mosquitoes and allow them to overwhelm their disease-spreading brethren. And that's where the second reason for Wolbachia comes into play. It helps to curb overall population as well. When a male Wolbachia-infected mosquito mates with an uninfected female, the resulting eggs don't hatch. Only when both mates carry Wolbachia does the union result in a viable egg, which passes on the infection, which, by the way, does not transfer to people. According to The Atlantic, the Guangzhou project currently claims a 99% suppression rate in localized tests. And a similar project is currently underway in Australia. Now, the British biotechnology company Oxitec has an even more futuristic tactic. Flood the mosquito population with genetically modified mosquitoes that die four days later and produce offspring that die as larvae. They've been pumping these doomed GMO mosquitoes out in Brazil to the tune of two million bugs a week. And as reported in technology review, they've seen impressive drops in dengue fever cases as a result. Some scientists hold out hope that such gene editing could even be used to drive mosquitoes into extinction. Now, as great as that sounds, not everybody's crazy about mosquito extinction, even if we're only talking about the couple hundred or so species out of 3,500 that actually pester humans. They might be pests, but they also make up a great deal of biomass. And as such, serve as food for various predators. Wipe them out, and you potentially unbalance the ecosystem. And not everyone's crazy about the GMO thing either, especially in species so intimately connected to our own blood supply. More reasonable critics question a commercial company's use of proprietary gene codes to combat illness, while conspiracy theorists in Brazil have even gone so far as to, erroneously, blame Zika on genetically modified mosquitoes. Hey, until vaccination catches up with the threat, all options remain on the table. And the resulting advancements just redefined how humans manipulate every detail of their environment.
0: Finally this week, head video writer and Stuff They Don't Want You To Know host Ben Bolin talks about Graham, the hypothetical accident-proof man. Graham was created because, despite the progress we've seen in car safety technology, driving is still inarguably dangerous. Graham is what would happen if, instead of evolving our cars, we evolved ourselves.
2: In 2015, U.S. auto manufacturers sold 17.5 million cars and light trucks, smashing a 15-year-old record. And there's no question that cars are becoming increasingly sophisticated. But humans aren't evolving as fast as the cars we create, and our bodies aren't physically capable of withstanding the forces we encounter in car accidents. According to the NHTSA, over the course of 2014, there were 32,674 accident-related fatalities in the U.S. alone. But what if we could evolve past our current state? What would we look like if our species adapted specifically to the rigors of automobiles? Meet Graham. Graham is the result of a collaboration between artist Patricia Piccanini, trauma surgeon Christian Kinfield, and collision expert David Logan. Their team asked what humans would look like if we were built to survive on the roads. The differences between Graham and the average person are... striking to say the least, and the most polite way to put it. First, his skull is much, much larger than average. Our brains float in cerebrospinal fluid surrounded by a skull designed to fracture and spread the force of an impact. Graham's brain is the same as ours, but it's encased in a better helmet. It's surrounded by more fluid, and his skull has, essentially, crumple zones, allowing him to survive a much stronger impact than you or I could. Second, Graham's face is super flat and covered with fatty tissue to protect his nose, his sinuses, and his ears from steering wheels, dashboards, and breaking glass. Third, the neck, or rather, the lack thereof. Since the neck is one of the most vulnerable points of the body in a crash and incapable of preventing the head from jolting forward, Graham has none. He has no neck. His ribs just go all the way up to the skull. Let's follow those, uh neck ribs, down to his rib cage. It's filled with organic airbags, which excrete a fluid upon impact, providing much more protection than our conventional musculoskeletal structure. These provide an opportunity for a more gradual stop during the forward momentum of an accident. Graham's skin is also thicker and tougher to reduce the likelihood of abrasions. Finally, And honestly, this is probably the coolest part. Graham has an extra joint in his feet, allowing him to execute a super jump when he needs to GTFO out of Dodge. You know, like uh, like a grasshopper, or like the Hulk in the Marvel movies. Before I get too carried away with this, we should point out that Graham is not a living being, and there are, at this point, no plans to make him one. Although, if we did, he would be the first living Satoran for you Doctor Who fans. Instead, Patricia and her team intend Graham to be a catalyst for conversation. He's an educational tool meant to emphasize the importance of safety systems and to remind us how vulnerable we all actually are.
0: That's our show for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Subscribe now for more of the latest and strangest science news. And send us links to anything you'd like to hear us cover, plus your favorite cold remedy. I could use that thing this week. Uh, Check out Forward Thinking, Monster Science, and Stuff They Don't Want You to Know on YouTube if you're into that whole YouTube thing. And uh, shoot us an email at nowpodcast at howstuffworks.com. Also, to access thousands of other stories like these, check out our home planet, now.howstuffworks.com. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kiwi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast.